we were actually in Chinatown in San Francisco, just having a drink, waiting for the call. During that time, we actually got more, we got more uh, pessimistic. Uh, you know, I think then the German side came out again and the American side kind of like went down. So the optimist died, the pessimist came out. Well, maybe they don't want us to be in there. I don't know, they should have called by now. And then 5.30, around 5.30, they called and uh, they asked us if we wanted to participate. And then we were a y, y Combinator company Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaStock, the global conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, which returns to Dublin October 15th to the 17th. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this show, I bring you insights and tactics from leading SaaS entrepreneurs and investors across the world. On this episode, I'm joined by Bjorn Zinsmeister, CEO and co-founder of Templarbit, a developer-oriented security platform. Originally from a small village in Germany with not much to do whilst growing up, Bjorn first started coding when he was age 10. After he graduated in 2010, Bjorn packed his bags for California and never looked back. He always had this entrepreneurial aspiration, but before he fulfilled it, Bjorn wanted to learn the trades in established companies. It was after Design Inc. where he was CTO, which closed shop gracefully and even returned some of the money to investors, that Bjorn finally felt ready to start something from scratch. He sensed it had to be what he knew best, cybersecurity. The idea of Templarbit, a name inspired by the Knight Templars, was born. Quickly on, Bjorn and the co-founder Matthias Kadenbach managed to grasp the interest of Y Combinator and got into the Summer White at 17 batch. Since then, Bjorn has raised $3 million in seed funding and has already gone global. Listen on to here, does going to Y Combinator actually help? But at demo day, we, we expected to, you know, to have a little bit of an easier time and it wasn't the case. And we actually ended up raising the three million through a friend of a friend that I knew. How to go global as an early stage company. I figured, you know, that Asian market is going to be very difficult. It's going to take us forever to crack this market. So how about we treat it as a hobby? How to conquer the Asian market. And as we started doing this, you know, translating the marketing side, talking to a couple of people in, in San Francisco that are uh, Japanese um, and could give us some insight, the Japanese community in San Francisco started saying, oh man, there's this Y Combinator company that's relatively young, but they're doing something that is very needed in Japan, uh, security. We should help them. Bjorn is one of the many speakers we'll have at SASDOC 18, alongside the likes of founders and operators such as Corey Thomas, CEO of Rapid7, Frederick Keres, COO at Okta, and Bryn Kennedy, CEO at MoveGuides. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. Bjorn Zinsmeister, uh, CEO of uh, Templarbit. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. So how's the pronunciation on the, on the Bjorn and the Zinsmeister? Pretty good? You, you always do a, an excellent job, uh, which I truly appreciate because after living a decade in America, it is always fun to meet Europeans that know how to say Bjorn. It is not very <laughs> common for, your, for, a, for an American to know how to say my name. Yeah, it's not the easiest name, uh, I have to say definitely, that, in SATS. Definitely. It's not the easiest name in SATS. The, uh, the upside is when you Google my name, I'm the only one that shows up. That's very good. That's very good. The only Bjorn Zinspice in the world. So I'm speaking to the only Bjorn Zinspice in the world. Tell me <laughs> in the audience about, uh, about Bjorn. Who is Bjorn Zinspice? Bjorn Zinspice is a kid from a t- 
tiny village in Germany. And actually, um, for a long time, I thought walking around in Silicon Valley, that's something really unusual that somebody from a tiny village would make it in, uh, in tech. Uh, but now that I've spent um, some time in the Valley, I actually noticed that a lot of good guys, especially programmers or, or security experts, come from these I don't want to say remote towns, because even if you're in a small town in Europe, you're sort of very connected to bigger um, uh, cities, but you don't really have time to like go to a mall or a movie theater because there just isn't one available. So you spend a lot of time in front of the computer getting really good at doing things on the computer. And uh, oftentimes these guys then end up in the Valley working for either big uh, companies or launching uh, their own startups because they're just so obsessed with... uh, working on the computer. And um, that's essentially who I am. I was this kid that from a very, very early age on just started doing things on the computer, uh, programming and basic at age 10, and then just working my way through more interesting programming languages. I think I was doing C++ right before I was going to college, um, which really definitely gave me an upside on, on becoming a builder, a product builder. Because then during college, I could focus on other things like design on top of programming, which made me a little bit more full stack. And then after college, I would be interested in more of the business side of things. And, um, you know, those are pretty much a lot of skill sets to combine. And when you're trying to do a startup uh, in tech. So that's who I am. After college, I decided uh, Europe isn't the best place. I think unemployment in Germany at the time was hovering at around 11% still which uh, people forget because now it's such a powerhouse. But at the time, it was really bleak. Um, not a lot of jobs, for, especially for, for, for software engineers. So I headed to America, and um, here I am. Fast forward, now I'm a founder. Um, it's definitely easier in America to become a tech person and take it to, the, to that Champions League level. And um, that's why I sort of left and never came back. Take it easy on Europe, right? Don't don't forget your roots. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's always like that's why I said like it is. It, it, at a time, it was very different. Now, Europe is actually one of the most interesting places for tech, in my opinion. There we go. It's a good save. Um, so you're, you're CEO and co-founder of Templabit. That's right. Um, tell us about uh, yeah, what is Templabit? Why did you found it? How did you come up with the name? Great questions. Um, Templabit is an app security startup. We're focusing only on app layer security. And we've noticed that over the time, we actually my, both my co-founder, Matthias, who's also German, by the way, but we actually met in Palo Alto of all, all places. We spent um, a lot of time together at previous startups, most of which we spent at Synac, which is a large cybersecurity company. Uh, startup funded by Google and Microsoft and Kleiner Perkins. I was one of their first engineer. I think I was engineer number two. And um, Synac is a penetration test company. So if you want to run a buck bounty or you want to get your system tested, you would hire Synac and they outsource to hundreds of the best security researchers on the planet, gathering and looking at all vulnerability reports. And having access to that data... I saw a lot of similarities that it did. And the surprising fact was that if you are small or large, let's say fortune five, all the way down to a small startup in Mountain View, they all had similar problems and they were all collecting themselves in the application layer. 
And so I was thinking of, of the idea of, of doing an application layer focused uh, company, I think as early as 2014, 2013, maybe even. But I, you know, Cinec was such a success that it was a really great ride. And after Cinec, I got convinced to be CTO at a very unrelated company called Design Inc. And uh, I always felt like I just needed to learn a little bit more before I, was, I would be my, a founder myself, like a, a CEO and founder. And, it's, you know, so I, it took me a little bit of time to, to take it from an idea to a prototype stage and then into, into actually launching a company. But yeah, Templop in a nutshell cares about application layer security. We do this by building tools that get uh, deployed very, very easily into the app that it protects. And then we look for malicious behavior and block and report it. How did you come up with the name? Templar bit comes from the Knights Templar. Um, we thought it is, you know, actually I thought I was sitting in, in my living room in, in a corner, literally on a, on a chair. I just, I think I was having a bad day about something and I just kept recycling that idea of the security company. And so I wanted to secure a name and I thought who was the first security force and who's sort of related to, you know, your European history and then the Knights Templar showed up. And um, so I was thinking, man, Knights Templar, that's very, very interesting. It's uh, loosely connected to my family history because uh, the name Zinsmeister, not very common in Europe, originates from an area in, in, uh, in Switzerland where they have a lot of banks. The Knights Templar were known to uh, maybe have fled to Switzerland. They were also known to found banks. And... Um, so by a very creative stretch, you could say, maybe I'm connected to the Knights Templar, <laughs> but also it was just a $10 domain. Templar bit was available, 10 bucks. Uh, here we go. You briefly mentioned for the, uh, would you say, e eagle-eared people, uh, uh, a company called Design Inc., which you were, were, were CTO and, uh, and co-founder of. Uh, actually, when I, when I first met you a couple of uh, years ago, I think, um, uh, tell us uh, uh, about that. What happened uh, with that? If you if you're happy to, yeah, absolutely. Designing was uh, a, a great ride. Um, there was a very experienced founder that led the mission, Mark Hemian, who is probably one of the best known designers on earth. Um, he redesigned YouTube a couple of times. He was in the early crew of Dick.com. I've met him actually when I was working out of Kevin Rose's home office, and we were just prototyping some ideas back in 20, 2013 before doing Cinec. And I always thought that Mark Hemian had this great aura about him and that he would be, A, a great salesman, second, probably a great leader in terms of, you know, staking out a mission and getting the troops to march towards it. So when he called me about doing a startup together, I was sort of in, like, blank check. Like, I don't care what we're doing. Let's just do something. When he called with Design Inc., um, I actually liked the idea of taking the business model of Synac, meaning taking large contracts from enterprises and then outsourcing it to, uh, to the crowd. Whether you do it for pen tests or design work, it seemed very, very interesting thing to do. And so we set out on this mission to do Design Inc. And unfortunately, you know, we tried a couple of business models, including this origin, or, original one that didn't really suit well with what Mark Hemian wanted to do. He, he thought doing contracts, a lot of paperwork and, and um, you know, long-term long sales cycles wasn't the best idea. So we flipped it towards a, um, let's just book an individual person by the hour or by the week 
That didn't do well at all because turns out nobody really cares who star designers are other than star designers. Um, and then we flipped it to a marketplace. That did really well. But at that time, we were in maybe 12 months or so. We had another year and a half left of, of, of the $2 million we'd raised. And um, the marketplace actually started surprisingly strong. I think in the first month, we made about six, seven grand, which is unusual for a marketplace um, because you always have a chicken and egg problem. We didn't have that problem, but we did have the problem of now that we had a growth rate after the first three months, we could, we could see and map out, okay, the growth is going to be this. The burn is that. Uh, we started laying off some, some people to see if we could hit uh, break even or be attractive enough to do an A round before we would run out of cash. And um, it honestly wasn't there. I think we would have had to cut down the team to very, very bare, bare bones to make that make or break that uh, company. So Mark was actually the one that made a tough decision in the end to say, you know what, we got a million plus a little change in the bank. Let's return that to the investors and go about our lives. And um, that was that was the end of Design Inc. I think it wasn't a complete out failure. It was. It was, but it was also unusual because usually I think a lot of the founders in the Valley, even, even if they know that they work on something stupid that isn't going places, they would rather burn down the cash. And we wanted to be a little bit more honorable, return a lot of the cash and say, look, guys, we tried three, four different strategies in this market. We iterated really, really fast. And we built a great team that was able to do this. And trust us, it's going to be a close one it's probably not going to work um, and let's return the money. Um, that was sort of the crazy thing. And within the same literally 24 hours as we were shutting down the design Inc, I looked at Matthias who was working at design Inc and previously at Synac with me. I said, look, we could either go on holiday right now and do a little vacation here, or we could pretend like nothing happens and we just keep building something, but it has to be something completely new because this design stuff isn't working and we should focus on what we are good at. And that's cybersecurity. We're great product builders and we're great security experts. We can combine the two and, and try and solve the application layer security problem in the world. And that's what we did. Yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cool and admirable on, uh, on a couple of fronts there. One in like, uh, I wonder how many, founders and understandably like i guess people they, they get sort of so wrapped up into it that they would probably see it right through to the death till there is no money and then yeah. shut the doors but to kind of make that decision hey we're going to return the the money back or you, you know at least 50 percent of it because it, it's not working we, we think it's not going to work i wonder what the statistic is there it's probably you know not uh, uh not a large percentage and then you know not wallowing in something that, you know, you've tried, as you said, it wasn't necessarily uh, not a failure, but you tried to build something. It didn't necessarily work, but just going straight into like, you know, startup number two, or, you know, it's yeah. uh, a, a pretty cool thing. And, and I think like before, before I even, uh, I, I guess, got to learn about that, you, you found that you, you know, you're straight into Y Combinator with the, with the new startup. Yep. Like, how did that happen so quickly, um, you know, with this, this new idea that you're, you're straight into, I guess, kind of one of the most, uh, uh, well, the world's kind of leading uh, accelerator, if that's kind of fair to say. 
Yeah, that's that's another uh, great question, actually, because that same day that we made a decision to do Templar bits, I mean, I had the name ready because I was, you know, having it in my back pocket because I knew at some point, you know, I will be a founder myself, CEO and founder, and I will do probably a security startup. I thought it was longer down the road, but when designing shut down and we opened sort of the idea for Templar bit and... Um, we literally drove home um, to to our apartment complex that we lived at. Matthias and I were actually living a mile apart or so, and um, his apartment complex is newer, so they had a co-working space inside the apartment complex. It might be that that might sound outrageous for Europeans or people around the world, but in California, it's actually very common to have a lot of amenities within your apartment complex. It's more like a hotel. So we went into the um, co-working space there literally driving from the office at Design Inc. where we just had a meeting, letting everybody go essentially, like as a group, and driving to the apartment complex, setting up at the co-working space, filling out the Y Combinator application, which I think it was my idea. I told Matthias, look, we're not going to get in. It's a late application. The program starts in two weeks. We are just going to do the uh, exercise of submitting an application because I knew all of those questions in the application will be very foundational and that's what we have to answer to ourselves before we start what we are about to start. And so we did the application. We recorded a very quick video to, to include to the application. I briefly considered asking for recommendations because I knew uh, like Ryan Hoover at Product Hunt uh, as a friend of mine. And uh, Peter Clark, who I've worked with in 20, 2012, who was a founder at YC, I could have asked those people maybe for a recommendation. And I, I literally told my co-founder, Matthias, look, let's ask for the recommendation in, in the fall when we reapply because we're not going to make it in. It's a late application. We don't know what we're doing. We have zero things. Like We, we barely have a prototype. And um, let's just hold off. This is just an exercise. So we did that. And then got an email. Hey, guys, uh, come by for a late interview. And we're like, oh, shit. That, that was unexpected. And so we go down to Mountain View, um, I think a couple of days after the email, and we have this interview. And usually the interview is with maybe two or three partners. We had a room, I believe, with at least five people, which was... Like walking in, you know, you're already sort of nervous and you're, tr- you, you're prepped all night. You know, you answer questions very quickly. You try to have all the answers they might ask you for. And we walk into this room with five brains instead of three. So it was a little bit of intimidation. And, um, but we did really well, actually. We did so well during the interview that when we walked out, I looked at Matthias. I said, there's no way we're not in unless they're funding a very similar team doing a similar thing and they have to decide between two things so i felt really good there wasn't a question mark after after the interview and then they called us i think we were actually in chinatown in san francisco just having a drink waiting for the call and um during that time we actually got more we got more uh pessimistic uh you know i think then the german side came out again and the american side kind of like went down so the optimist died the pessimist came out well, maybe they don't want us to be in there. I don't know. They should have called by now. And then 5.30, around 5.30, they called and uh, they asked us if we wanted to participate. And we were like, great. When do we start? And they were like, oh, Monday. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then we were a y-, y Combinator company, essentially before even founding the company. It's pretty cool. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I mean, from literally just, you know, finishing up one startup going, you know, 
uh, straight into the other one, getting the application in. Uh, again, probably something you know very unusual. It might be something to be with there only being one Bjorn's Inspeister in the uh, in the world. <laughs> Um, and and, uh, and again, like pretty much soon, like straight after you left Y Combinator, well, not straight after, but not long after, yeah, uh, you've raised uh, three million dollars, correct? Um, and uh, this is a, a, I guess, seed round, right? Um, yeah. Was this uh, what was the impact of Y Combinator in, in uh, getting this three million seed raise? Um, you know, how many meetings did you have to have? How long did it take? What are the learnings you can share from that? So Y Combinator is still this very, very powerful brand. It definitely accelerates what you can do as a young startup. Um, it goes down to very, very basic things like opening a bank account. If you are a YC company, you could get certain deals with certain banks and it's free, uh, which otherwise costs a couple thousand bucks over the course of your first two or three years. And they definitely allow you to talk to anybody in the Valley if you craft a halfway decent email. So you could get in a meeting with essentially any VC. I think um, that is definitely a big upside. So you sort of, it helps you separate from the entire noise spectrum in the startup uh, community. I think, you know, as somebody that invests in startups, you have to ask yourself when you evaluate a pitch, is this guy for real or are they legit? And I think with Y Combinator, you're immediately in the legit corner of, of their brain. And um, that, that definitely helps a lot. Um, I do have to say, though, going into YC and having experienced other people doing YC in the past, I really was expecting a little bit easier time raising money. And this was my very first time raising money. I wasn't involved in raising the money at Design Inc. I was not involved in raising the money at Synac. And um, so I, I actually had no idea how to do how to raise money. I, I, I just knew of people that had done it, and, um, but that isn't that much help, actually. So I was actually surprised at, um, at, at the whole thing of Demo Day, Investor Day. Like, it wasn't quite as easy as it, as, as it, as it, as it made out to be. Like, there's more legend than, than there is reality there. And I think there's even a couple of companies that no longer exist from this recent batch that I was part of that just couldn't raise any money. We also were an unusually large batch of 120 companies. So you compete against all of those teams to get those dollars in a period in the year where a lot of people are on holiday and, and vacationing in, in Europe. And so that was a little bit tough. We raised a little bit of money during YC, you know, just kind of random people that I knew. And then one person that was connected to Y Combinator and the old Pepple crew that wrote us a check, which was nice, but those were like kind of smaller checks, 10, 15K here and there. So it raised maybe 90K or so on top of what, I, um, what we pulled in through Y Combinator, which is, which is great. Um, but at demo day, we, we expected to, you know, to have a little bit of an easier time and it wasn't the case. And we actually ended up raising the 3 million through a friend of a friend that I knew um, the investor in the, one of the first investors in Templar bit in the seed round was essentially also an investor at Synac. So I briefly met this person and, uh, but never really got to work with them too closely and started building a relationship initially just to validate the idea further. And they got really excited and, and wrote a check and then all of their friends wanted to invest. It was sort of like that. You always have to find that one champion and get them to back you and then sort of open their, their network 
um, for further investment. And that's what happened to us. So in the end, coming from Y Combinator, I think we raised an additional uh, percentage from Y Combinator. So they kept their pro rata. So we got some money from YC. And then one investor that we met at Demo Day, that's it. All the other dollars came from essentially my personal network. And I probably could have done this without YC, but not as quick and painless as, as, as going through with YC and, and having that label of a YC company. And just getting some um, timelines here. So uh, when was Templebit officially founded? Mm, June of last year. So we're not even a year old. And, and when did you come out of Y Combinator? So we found it essentially when Y Combinator started. So we did Y Combinator oh, yeah. June, July, and August. We yeah. came out of uh, Y Combinator towards the end of August. And we had started fundraising right around demo day, maybe a week earlier. And fundraising didn't complete, fully complete with money in the bank until after Thanksgiving. So almost December. Okay. Yeah, so you 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 know you're less than a year old as a uh, as a startup, but you're doing business globally already. Just come mm-hmm. back from a business trip in Asia, um, Tokyo specifically. Um, you, you know, have you like a, a contrarian view on you know going, uh, or do you think it is contrarian to be you know doing business in Asia like so early and going global so early? Like for instance, you know we had uh, um, Fred Schilmer over for Insight Squared on um, you know recently. And, you know, very much just a, a, a U.S. Uh, focus for, for them before they're, you know, expanding. Uh, I guess when they get to a certain revenue point, then they'll look at, you know, the rest of the world. But I guess that's more maybe in terms of, you know, hiring and, you know, building offices out there. So like, wh- what do you think? Like, why, why are you doing business trips to, to Asia? You just go, is that, you know, where customers are? Yeah, I think part of me... Um yeah, I think part of me looks at things, uh, what is the herd doing? You know, what is everybody doing? What is everybody saying? And not that uh, the founder of Insight Squared is wrong, right? Everybody says the same thing and it makes a lot of logical sense is you have an early company with an early product and you got to iterate by talking to customers and then quickly iterating. And that is very easy if you do it in, in front of your own door in your own neighborhood, ideally. And um, we do it too, right? Like our primary focus is the U.S. market. It is the largest market uh, for SaaS, for enterprise software, whatever metric you want to look at. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I always have this feeling like everybody is doing the same thing. Like everybody is digging for gold in the same area. So if you just go get a shovel and do the same thing, you cannot expect a different kind of outcome. And what a lot of people don't talk about in SaaS is that the air is getting pretty thin, man. Like there's a lot of people doing a lot of things at the same time. For a brief moment, I tried to play around in the CRM space uh, a couple years back, and that was very competitive. Even cybersecurity, the space that I'm in, is sort of very competitive. Luckily, like the application layer security space, which is growing the fastest, isn't very competitive because it's so hard and a very new thing. But, you know, what we do and what we talk about every day in the SaaS community it's getting pretty mainstream. So if you want to be a true entrepreneur and trailblazer and what the Valley was known for, you got to look for new things to try out at least. And so we looked up, yeah, maybe also like doing Y Combinator with 120 other companies, 300 plus founders in one room gets very competitive real quick. And you start to kind of try to think through uh, how do we differentiate? How do we see more interesting? What is there in the world 
that would make sense. And uh, we've met a couple of people from Asia. We are started looking at the, the sheer scale of Asia. Um, I think Jason Lemkin talks about this a lot right now. It seems to be his favorite topic, China's scale. And we knew um, a couple of our friends that run Mesosphere um, that also wrote us a check, actually. They are going into uh, China right now. They are a five-year-old company. They're doing really well. But uh, for them, the growth is all in, uh, in Asia as well, it seems. So I figured, you know, that Asian market is going to be very difficult. The most interesting one for security is definitely Japan. And it's going to take us forever to crack this market. So how about we treat it as a hobby? We just say our main priority is the U.S., but let's slowly do some, uh, some, something in Asia in Japan and, and treat it as a hobby, nothing too serious. And as we started doing this, you know, translating the marketing side, talking to a couple of people in, in San Francisco that are uh, Japanese um, and could give us some insights, it sort of just started snowballing very quickly. Um, it was almost like the Japanese community in San Francisco started saying, oh man, there's this Y Combinator company that's relatively young, but they're doing something that is very needed in Japan, uh, security, we should help them. So within a couple of months, we even had the Japanese government open sort of the kimono, literally, <laughs> and uh, gave us like uh, intros to large corporations in Tokyo, um, like the Ichi Life, the number one life insurance company, or Mitsubishi Bank, one of the largest financial institutions. So we, we're starting to talk to these people and... Um, you know, got a lot of great insights into the market. Uh, we got a lot of, you know, first experience on what it would look like to do business in, in Asia. And then from those, you know, talking to those bigger guys, we were actually sort of hitting the pause button and said, okay, wait a minute. Like, there's no way we can close a Mitsubishi bank this early in, in the game. Let's try and zoom in in what we're best at, startups. And so we started talking to uh, more age-appropriate uh, partners for us. And um, yeah, that I think overall, it quickly turned from a hobby into a little bit more serious thing. I did not expect that. I thought it would take forever. And uh, so we just sort of uh, rolled with it, to be honest. Um, and, it's been, and it's been a great thing because it gives you just a different perspective on your product. It gives you a different perspective on the world in, 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 in a more zoomed-out way that also benefits uh, what you do in the U.S. market. You just can't get too distracted. That's, that's probably the one cautious, um, cautious tale that I have to throw in there is like you have to really stay focused on the home turf and treat it as a side project almost within the company. And you can't have too many of those side projects. Essentially, you can only have one. And um, that's how we play it at Templarbit. Awesome. Uh, and so just quickly as we come into the end of the, uh, the show now, just final two questions. Uh, you're speaking at SASDOC 18. So I've um, heard. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, what can we expect to, uh, to learn from you, uh, you know, uh, uh, this time around? Yeah, I think um, I, would, I, you know, I would zoom in on Asia a little bit more. I think I have now a lot of uh, firsthand experience in what it, what it means to, to do business specifically in Japan and especially as a young startup. And I will be definitely talking about that. And uh, that should be very relevant to uh, companies of all sizes, probably not younger companies, but definitely mid-stage to larger stage startups should very, um, very much be interested in that experience. So I'm going to prepare some slides and thoughts around, around growing a business or even just starting exploring the Asian market. 
And um, I'll probably also look a little bit at the Southeast Asia market as well. Singapore is pretty interesting. And China, I'll, I'll probably zoom in on those things a little bit, but uh, mainly going to talk about Japan and doing business there and why it matters. Awesome. And, and that'll be a first because we often, uh, or you know, in, in the two years that we've done this, we've done content around internationalization and scaling to the US specifically. Mm -hmm. A lot of founders, and I can remember conversations with people like Mark Organ, who's done a lot of business in Asia, you know, speaking about this as a super interesting topic. So I think there are going to be a lot of people, Mark included, that are going to be interested uh, yeah. in this talk. So looking forward to that. Um, and yourself, like finally, you know, you know, how do you how do you stay sane, you know, in, in like building uh, your startup, going through Y Combinator, um, you know, the, the trials and tribulations and successes. Uh, yeah, how, how do you how do you stay sane and healthy? Yeah, I uh, you know I get a lot of um, yeah I get a lot of this question actually because people sometimes look at me as like this guy that never stops going for some reason, um, but I actually do stop. I do uh, usually sleep eight hours a night. Sometimes nine. I, I'm very, very anal about my sleep schedule. I think um, I probably have to be because I drink no caffeine at all. Like I only drink water, no soda, no coffee. Uh, sometimes I have a tea, but that's about it. So it's really hard for me to like use uh, substance to get me going. So I, I really, really try to sleep a lot. Um, I have the fortunate uh, situation that I live in California. So I do surf. I surf uh, every now and again. I'm not a great surfer, but I'm, I'm okay at it. Uh, so I have a longboard. So I take that into the water. When you do go surf, you're probably in the water for at least three hours and there's no cell phone service. Um, you're probably up very early, 5 a.m. on a Saturday. And it's an in insane workout that touches a lot of parts of your body. And after coming out of a cold water, a situation you just feel very very refreshed and you can sort of take that energy into the week and i think that's those are the two secret weapons that i use um to stay sane is to sleep a lot and go work out in an environment that does not have cell phone service awesome well bjorn um it's been awesome to speak to you uh learn a lot uh, uh definitely um uh, you know especially that you know you're a good guy from a small town with a unique name uh <laughs> and uh, and give money back to investors uh, these are these are all good things um yeah, but uh, yeah super super excited uh to have you come and join us at sasdoc 18 in dublin uh, in october uh, and thanks for sharing your uh, your learnings from both uh, design inc and uh, and temple of it yeah it was a pleasure thank you so much alex I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show with Bjorn Sinsmeister, CEO and co-founder of Templabit. If you want to learn more about expanding to Asia, then join us at SaaSdoc18. Sign up for our insider sale at insider.sasdoc.com by April the 1st to get a chance to get the two-for-one tickets at discount code. Thanks for listening and for your continued support and see you next time.